TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Mark Reardon. You can find me online, Ryan Recker Radio. If you missed it in the first hour of the show, there was some breaking news today. That the Supreme Court says, you know what, Um, trying to make a decision on presidential immunity and trying to force its way to the Supreme Court and just hopscotching its way there might not be the role of the Supreme Court to try to handle it this way. So they came down and said, no, we're not going to look at the Trump presidential immunity claim much like the special counsel wanted to, which means that this is a big win for Donald Trump inside of the courts, as uh, Chad Pergram mentioned here. What the Supreme Court has said, they're not going to hear this on an emergency basis, meaning it's not going to be something that's going to be fast-tracked. This will go through the court system the regular way. It'll go to a federal appeals court first. There will be oral arguments there. They will have to determine uh, what the uh, what the judgment of that court is one way or the other. And then there would be probably an appeal by both sides, either side, depending on the verdict there, to the Supreme Court. So this might still take a while to go through the federal court and if and when it ever goes to the Supreme Court. All right. That was some of the breaking news that happened within the last couple of hours. I know you'll hear more about that coming up. Uh, joining us now is someone that is part of the Francis Howell School Board and they made the news rounds last night. It was um, interesting for me to try to read up on this story, mostly because when I looked at KMOB or some of these other sites, they only told one side of the story. And I was very curious. I'm like, OK, during this school board meeting, they decided to stop offering black literature courses. And of course, the protesters were out there and they very angry parents were out there joining us now. One of the members of the Francis Howell School Board, Adam Bertrand. Thank you so much for coming on to 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So this is what I had to do because at first I thought, okay, I'll just read the story. I wanted to learn why this was being dropped in the Francis Howell School District. But when I was reading the articles, they didn't offer any explanation. And I was like, huh, normally when you tell a story and are trying to give both sides of the story, you offer both sides of the story. I don't think that was being done last night. So I had to dig a little bit deeper into this. And I later learned that part of this curriculum was the Teaching Tolerance Project from the Southern Poverty Law Center. And as soon as I heard Southern Poverty Law Center, I knew immediately why this was being addressed. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want to know why some of these you know, black history or black literature classes were being taken away inside of the Francis Howell School District. 
Yeah, I guess let me first say, I, I personally am not against teaching black history, not against teaching black literature. I don't believe the board, board itself is, is against that. This was really about, and our motion was actually to rescind the, the, the framework, the standard from this other poverty law firm around social justice standards that was used to create this course. And that was something I was curious about because it's only a couple of years old. Why was that course selected to begin with to teach these classes? Do you know? That's a, that's a good question. Um, it was a different board, board then, and I know there was, a, there was a, a lot of feedback from the community at that point in time, just saying like there was a lot of concern about it, that they, I know there were some suggestions of using different standards, um, and ultimately this is, this is what, what they chose. I know over time we've changed a lot of administrators. We've changed a number of things within the district. We have a lot of great teachers, a lot of great administrators that I think just wanted to do a good job, and I think at the end of the day, the, the school district really follows the direction of the board, and that's what direction they gave them at that time. All right. So and I don't want to put words into KMOV's reporters or any reporter last night that was covering this. But here, here's essentially the gist of the news reports. They send someone out to stand outside of the board meeting. They talk to a lot of angry parents, some of them crying saying that Francis Howell hates minorities. And that's essentially what they were saying, saying that uh, you don't want to teach black history. You don't want to have black literature inside of the classrooms. But really, what did you vote on last night? Yeah, so, so what we vote, essentially what we voted on was just to remove the, frame, the framework, the Southern poverty, social justice framework that was part of these, these curricula. Um, does it affect those curricula? Yes, because... They can't be offered now next year. Uh, we did allow it to be offered next semester to prevent any um, issues there from a scheduling standpoint. Um, but when we have an organization like the Southern Poverty Law Firm who calls out parents um, being involved in education on their hate maps, this was just something that we can we allow being as part of the district. And there, uh, this is the way they were described, and I would agree with this description of the Southern Poverty Law Center, notoriously partisan attack group. And when you talk about students inside of a school, do you want curriculum put up in a way where the goal is to attack other groups of people? Now, part of this story, too, they talked to some of the protesters outside, former students that took the class, and they said, oh, I, I didn't see any talks about systematic racism or critical race theory concepts built into this. But the, I actually looked at the teaching tolerance curriculum and the projects themselves, and it was built into that. That was part of the actual project was to introduce these type of ideas to kids inside of school. So I would disagree. I would say these things are actually being introduced if you use this curriculum. Yeah, I don't dis disagree with that, that interpretation. I think that's why we kind of said we want to we, we made statements that we're glad to see those courses come back written in, in kind of our standard history and ELA frameworks and, and utilizing the Missouri learning standards and bringing bring those back in, the, in that framework and that we'd be open open to open to that if the district wanted to bring those forward. Adam Bertrand joining us, a member of the Francis Howell School Board. And one of the points that was brought up was instead of dropping it completely, how about introduce something that could replace it at the same time? Are there any discussions of what could replace it next? Is there any discussions of how that can be replaced without using the Southern Poverty Law Center? Yeah, I think it definitely could be rewritten. Um, there's always opportunity for that. I think the motion, the amended motion last night was to keep the current curriculums until a replacement was created. And I, I know my, my perspective was if we aren't going to keep keep that framework because we don't agree with that framework, why would we keep the curriculum that's related to it? Like that seemed like a, 
like something that just doesn't seem um, to jive to me. So it's, the board, the rest of the board kind of agreed with that perspective. And so they, they voted that amendment down. And um, But there's always opportunity to bring back. We have plenty of other history classes and, and ELA classes that have have broad topics. There's plenty of time and opportunity to bring those back, um, the Black History, Black Leisure classes under other frameworks. Yeah. I could tell you what would have happened if you would have delayed it, and um, this is just my assumption of it all. But let's say you were to delay it, then the course would have been weaponized, and you probably would see a lot of out-of-state type of organizations coming in to try to rally around keeping it, ones that are very friendly to the Southern Poverty Law Center, people that would never set foot in Missouri if it wasn't for some sort of controversy. So you'd be setting yourself up for a really unfair, dirty fight where they'd be calling you a lot of terrible names and bringing a lot of bad press. I think even worse so to the Francis Howell School Board. But in, in a moment like this, I think almost you've got to get the right word out there of what really is happening and why this was done. And I, I got to say, I was very disappointed in the way a lot of the news agencies covered this last night because they did not talk about any of these points and some of the reasons why it was so controversial aligning the schools with the Southern Poverty Law Center. So I think a big part of it is I'm glad you're here to discuss it now. Um, well, you know, one thing that Fox 2 mentioned last night is the declining enrollment in those classes. Did that have anything to do with it that mostly there weren't a lot of kids that were signing up for the classes to begin with? I mean, I think there's the, the enrollment. My understanding is enrollment has, has declined over the last two years since it was introduced. There's still, I would say, a fair, fair number of students taking the courses, which I think is why we offered to say, hey, if we want to bring this back, if the district finds that it's valuable and something that students are interested in, we're, we're willing to hear that under a different framework. So who raised the objection to this curriculum to begin with? Were, were it teachers? Was it parents that really alerted you in the first place to the uh, teaching tolerance project from the Southern Poverty Law Center? Yeah, so this has actually been a conversation within the district since the, since the courses were, were int originally introduced or, or being discussed um, two, two plus years ago. Um, there's a number, number of parents and, and district patrons that have, have raised it up, had offered suggestions on changes, had brought this to the attention of the board. And um, this was just finally w when we kind of realized that enrollment was coming up and these classes were still being offered with this, with this framework, we wanted to make sure that we um, prevented that from happening. So for the most part, you see a lot of people talking about this online. Have you received phone calls from parents? Have you talked to other teachers? What has the reaction been so far from last night? Um, I would say very divided. I see I have a lot of emails. I probably have a number of emails to still go through tonight. Um, but I would say both sides. Those are really, really grateful that, that we, we, we had did this had this vote had moved moved that motion. And some that were are not so so happy that are kind of kind of coming at us a little bit. So there's, I think there's a lot on both sides, a very divided issue, um, as many things are in the world today. Um, but seeing it, seeing it on both sides, support and not getting support. Yeah, and part of it, and the Teaching Tolerance Project, the they say there were very similar CRT-based concepts built into this, which, again, we've gone through this the last couple of years when we talk about critical race theory. It's been a very divisive topic because mostly you see a lot of parents saying, we don't want this inside indoctrinating our kids with critical race theory. And you've seen a lot of parents take objections to school boards and bring their objections forward, which you know has been a very productive thing. And then some people say, you know what? That is just a boogeyman argument. 
critical race theory doesn't exist. It's not inside of schools. It's just something made up to drum up Republican support. And I would tend to disagree. I'm sure you've seen, as someone that is part of the school board, some very valid concerns from parents of things that are being taught in schools that are objectionable. Yeah, I think there's always valid concerns. I think it's always the right of the parent to bring bring their concerns and at least be heard, be heard and have have an outcome to it. Um, that's one of the, I would say, from, from my perspective, one of the reasons I, I voted this down is because the Southern Poverty Law Firm is calling parents they want to be involved in their kids' education out on their broad general blanket call out on their on their hate map of saying like this isn't a good thing i, I think it's good for all parents to be involved in all education of their kids as well as the community to be involved in the education of the community schools here's one thing for certain i don't know how often you meet for school board meetings but i'm guessing the next meeting you're going to get a lot of public comment <laughs> we, we have public comments every meeting <laughs> well, this one may go into the uh, late night hours. I don't know how long they normally last, but um, okay. So really, I don't think uh, anyone on the Francis Howell school board will object to looking at other types of curriculum that could replace this in the future. I think that's maybe one of the first steps that happens, um, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would I would say I would think that the board board as it sits would be supportive of that move. Great. All right, uh, Adam, I got to say, you have uh, seen probably a lot of the different articles that have, have been written online. I almost feel like a uh, uh, there has to be some correction to some of these articles because they really gave zero opportunity to tell the other side of the story. I don't even think they attempted to in most of it. And that's why I think it's important that you come on shows like this and you can explain really what's going on here, what's not being reported. And sometimes they just put a fancy title on it or some sort of sensational title on a story and they want that clickbait title to be the whole story when really it is not so it's important that we do tell what's going on inside of our schools why for example the southern poverty law center may not be the right direction for curriculum and shaping curriculum inside of our schools and why there's objections to that from many different people adam bertrand a member of the francis hall school board thank you so much for coming on to 97.1 i appreciate it Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, coming up after the break, we were going to speak to an author, and Abby, I don't know if we ever got that author back on the line. So we're going to, I think, still attempt to hook up with David Horowitz. If not, we got other things we can talk about here today. I'm Ryan Recker. I'm filling in for Mark Reardon. You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. You're listening to 97.1 FM Talk. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... 
deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And I'm Ryan Recker filling in. Abby, did I hear a little promo you recorded? What you're thankful for for Christmas? Aww. I did. Yeah. People love you here. I'm looking at the comments. They keep mentioning, hi, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hi, hi, hi. They love you. I'm not on this much normally. Normally, I'm just in for Sue's News. So this is exciting for all of us. Right. Seeing you on camera. They're so excited. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because there a lot of radio stations do this. What they'll do is say, hey, it's the holidays. Can you record a liner? You know, thanking the listeners for listening, wishing them a Merry Christmas. And on Christmas, there's a special the radio station I work for. It's a new station, WWJ in Detroit, sister station, one of the the station here, 97.1. And they asked all the different on-air anchors to give a story about their, their favorite Christmas memory, their favorite traditions, things like that. And I said, okay, I had to go to the program director and ask them, can I tell my real favorite holiday story and i gave him the rundown he said oh absolutely please here's my favorite holiday story when i was younger and i got to say this is 30 years ago we would have always the you know big meals for holidays at my parents house and i was pretty young my uncle and aunt would come over my grandma would come over things like that and my uncle was always a big dude like big and tall so he could put down some food and when you talk about home cooking Man, my parents, they could cook. So he would do plate after plate after plate. And my parents would cook a ton of food. And he would just lay it down. Now, being a big dude, he would keep a handkerchief on him. And he would wipe sweat off of his forehead while he was eating. So he would start sweating. And he would dab it on his forehead because he ate so much food. And he's a huge dude that that's just how his body would react to it. And then the more he ate, the more labored his breathing would get. He'd be like, so, uh, Ryan, uh, how's, uh, how's school? And he would start talking like that. Now, as a kid, I didn't think anything of it. As an adult, I realized that's not great. <laughs> like, you don't want to be that out of shape. My favorite Christmas memory is after, this had to have been 30 years ago, after the meal, we're relaxing with the family. The food's put away. We're probably in the living room at this point. And my uncle rounds the corner into the kitchen, into the living room, and he's wiping the sweat off his forehead. And he looks at my dad and says, Ray, where do you keep the plunger? As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as he said that, my poor dad, <laughs> the things you have to deal with as an adult I understand that now because when you're the man of the house, there's a lot you have to do to take care of your family. And there's a lot of things I've had to do, but I've never had a grown man the size of my uncle ask me, where do you keep the plunger? And what he saw in that bathroom, I'm going to tell you, I don't want to know. I don't ever want to know, but that may be one of the most memorable holiday moments of my life. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and ever since then, we've commemorated the moment by asking my dad where he keeps the plunger. What a great Christmas story, right? Uh, a couple of other stories I want to get to, and our guest, uh, David Horowitz, I don't think we're going to be able to connect with him. Maybe we can try again sometime in the future with him. So the Hyperloop finally is calling it quits. I'm so happy for this. Can I just tell you, the Hyperloop was never a good idea. 
And when I was doing radio shows in St. Louis for the longest time, people would call in and they would say, this is the greatest thing ever. Are you kidding me? I can hop on a fast bullet style train and I can be in Kansas City in an hour and a half or whatever the time was. Oh, it'd be the greatest thing ever. And they said, oh, this is great. All you need to do is invest a billion dollars and we'll put a test track up that's like a mile long. <laughs> and you're like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold up. A billion, you want one billion of our tax dollars to put up a sort of Hyperloop, just a small test track. To me, it seemed like a giant pyramid scheme because one, I don't think people would use this as much as they'd want to. Two, I don't think it's going to be as convenient as they say it's going to be as if how many times have you been sitting here in St. Louis and said, man, I'd really like to go see a Kansas City Chief game. If only I can hop on the Hyperloop and be over there. I mean, I guess maybe once, but you're not going to be doing it all the time. Oh, I could really go for some barbecue. I don't mind waiting in this tunnel, uh, pod tunnel for an hour and a half to go get some barbecue in Kansas City as if St. Louis doesn't have any. So the Hyperloop was pitched for a while. There was really debate, but I don't think it was serious debate, but there were people that wanted it. Here's the news for the Hyperloop now. Hyperloop shuts down. The pipe dream is over. Well, no kidding. No kidding. So what you're saying is just like all of these other projects that they go into government agencies and say, oh, this would be great for the environment. Don't you want to eliminate global warming? People think of all the carbon emissions if you're driving your car to Columbia or driving your car to Kansas City. Oh, you hate the environment. So you need to spend billions of dollars of putting a Hyperloop together, which is going to be economical and is going to be great for the environment. So spend us money, 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 money. And a lot of times states like California or these very liberal areas, they would try something like that and say, oh, okay, you know, it's for the kids. Let's do it for the environment. Well, California experiments with things like that all the time, and they come out just in billions of dollars debt because they invest all this money. It never costs so much money, they say it's going to be. It never comes out in the same timeline, they say it's going to be put out, and it never completes itself because they can't write these blank checks forever. They may be dumb, but they're not that dumb. They can't continue to write billion-dollar checks they can't cash. So eventually they abandon ideas like the Hyperloop. And the only way the Hyperloop works is if there's someone out there to finance it, some sucker out there, and they said, hey, Missouri, you look like a bunch of suckers. And there were people out there saying, yeah, we want to be suckers. Go ahead and put this project together. Spend billions. It'll never be finished. Luckily, that never happened. And I think it's obviously pretty clear here. Whenever some of these quote-unquote revolutionary-style forms of transportation come out there, there has to be a large amount of government subsidy that goes with it in order to make it work. As in, the only private entities aren't going to be able to cut it by itself. Private entities can only go so far. If a Jeff Bezos wanted to spend his entire fortune putting one of these bullet train things across Missouri, and he said, you know, I don't want much from you, just let me use some of the median space that the state owns, then I think that would have been a different story if he was footing the bill. But no, they wanted us not only to give them the land to do it the right of way, but they also wanted us to pay all this money to put it together. Much like the promises that were put together with the trolley, <laughs> like that was going to work. And so much criticism that went around with that. Um, and rightfully so. All the money they spent, all the promises that were broken. And in the end, what was the uh, result? empty trolleys when it was running, if it was running in an obligation to the city and county 
uh, and the metro area that had to pay it off and keep it going in order to prevent what further bills down the line that was in question. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what they're trying to do with electric vehicles. You've seen that electric vehicles are growing and you see that they grow, but at a slow pace to the point where Ford and GM and these big companies that invested billions of dollars into it continue to lose billions of dollars. A lot of it, of course, research and development, putting these factories together, retrofitting factories. It's a big expense to do that. But they realize that their projections are way off and that the demand is just not there for these vehicles. So they start to cut back their production because they know they're going to have a bunch of vehicles sitting there that they can't sell. So they know that they can't continue at this pace. They know that it's a slow pace. So what they're saying is eventually, maybe at one point, that this could be more appealing to consumers, but we're not there. We're not going to be there 10 years from now. They understand these things because they're smart. They're car companies that have been doing it for 100 years, like Ford. Uh, they kind of get a pretty good idea of how to figure out the markets and what the supply and demand is for certain cars. I wanted to just say, if it wasn't for government subsidies, where would the electric vehicles be today? You think that the demand would continue to be there even at a slow pace? Or do you think that it would be an even tougher sell? It would be. It would be a tough sell. And if it wasn't for the government stepping in, then maybe we would just have Tesla and that's it. And it, by the way, Tesla, I give them credit in some ways. They were able to do it with government subsidies, meaning that there were tax credits that went into it. But then the government said, well, that's kind of strange. People are only buying Teslas. We need to limit the amount of subsidies that go with these tax credits to a certain amount of companies. So once you're out, you're out, right? You can only spend so much at one company. So for a while there, Tesla was still by far the biggest seller of electric vehicles, even though they weren't allowing the tax credits to go back when you bought them. Um, and the benefit the Tesla wasn't really benefiting from it to be after a certain point, they wanted other companies like Ford and GM and, you know, all these, all these other big companies to benefit from it as well. And just found that people weren't buying it. Here's another thing I found for my electrician, by the way. Uh, so the house I live in, when I bought it, we bought it over the summer here in Michigan. There's a lot of power outages. Um, and there's a lot of people that are looking at power sustainability inside of big storms that come through. Here's a few things that we found out. One, people that were stuck were really stuck. Um, they're more interested in making sure their fridge stays powered because they don't want to lose all that money for food. And they're not so much worried about their vehicle at that point. And they can't find places to charge it outside of their home. So they realize that they're kind of stuck uh, between a rock and a hard place. Number two, we had to upgrade our panel because we had the old fuses. And I was talking to the electrician and I said, you know, are people upgrading much for electric vehicles anymore? You know what he said? He said, you wouldn't believe the amount of customers I have that I tell them that they can't have an electric vehicle at their house. And I said, hey, can you explain that? He said, here's what happens. You get all these old homes that are only certified for a certain amount of electricity. And in order to put a charging station inside of their garage, they need to upgrade their electricity. They got to go up at 50 amps or 100 amps or whatever it may be, depending on how old it is. So he says, okay, if you're going to upgrade this, you're going to have to contact the electric company. Then you're going to have to, on top of that, um, pay them to bury the line because that's what they require now. So now you're talking about an additional $5,000 to $10,000 just to get the charging station for your electric vehicle inside of your house. And people are deciding it ain't worth that extra ten grand to get the electric vehicle. There's a lot of uh, 
problems they got to run into. Oh, what a treat. It looks like we're able to get a hold of David Horowitz, author of The Radical Mind. A great new book you can check out, The Destruction, uh, Destructive Path of the Woke Left. David Horowitz, thank you for coming on to 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks for having me. I was just, so, I was just watching Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is today. Oh, boy. Um, where, and that's where we are as a that? country with tens of thousands of the young people marching, calling for a second Holocaust. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it's to, it's to hard think... to focus on how bad things are. Uh, to, to me, it's unbelievable, too, that with, we're with finding the, even the some of the most radical... Of, of Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, people have to understand the nightmare that our universities are these days. The left Can I say... Tell me how ridiculous, like at the Harvard situation, how ridiculous is it that people care more that she plagiarized than she was calling for genocide? Isn't that something? Yeah, she's an idiot, but she's a left-wing idiot. So she's and she's black, so she's completely protected. This is a major transition point in America. Well, she's a bellwether. If she stays, we're in lots of trouble. What do you think? Um, what do you think is going to happen? Because this has been a pretty divisive thing. Even some of the leftists of left wings have come out and shown support for Israel, and that has surprised some people. Because now uh, some are even calling for this to reflect on Joe Biden, who's been kind of wishy-washy on the topic to begin with. Um, oh, no, what do you think is no, going to no, happen? No, no. He's, he's responsible. He, he funded he funded funded the Iranians. He, they, were, they were on the brink of collapse when Trump left. He destroyed the peace deal, the Abraham Accords. The first thing that Biden did when he got into office was restore funding to the terrorists, Hamas and the PLO. Joe Biden is a traitor. And uh, and you you have to of course you have to be as blind as the Democrat Party which says there's no evidence. Yeah, uh, there's between twenty and fifty billion dollars that have been passed through a string of twenty shell companies whose sole purpose is to conceal where the money is coming from and who it's going to. They, you know, they always it used to be a cliche like in the Watergate days. That the cover-up is is what gets them. But nobody even mentions the word cover-up here, although this is the most massive cover-up of a criminal operation and a treasonous one in our lifetimes. We've never had a worse president than Joe Biden. He's a criminal and a gangster. Yeah. Let me say this, too, about Israel and Palestine, and you, you hear about what's going on there. And I want to relate this, and I'm going to pull this back to Joe Biden. So when you look at the atrocities that happened on October 7th, when they came in and the terrorist attacks on Israel's soil and the different uh, innocent people that were taken, raped, murdered, beheaded, you saw all of these slaughtering terrorists out there of Hamas doing this to Israeli people. And I thought, if this were the United States, and let's say a terrorist organization came in, they took hostages, and they pulled them across the border, they murdered people on our soil, would the same people be out there saying, 
no, we have to be more considerate to these terrorist organizations and do this the right way? Or would they want us to go in there and get our people back? So oh, no, I, I want to say Biden. if it was Joe Biden in office, he might say we might want to be careful here. And I don't well, like Black that. Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all these left wing vigilante groups are cheering this on. People are in the streets cheering a second Holocaust from the you know from the river to the sea. There will be no Jews. That's that's the way that one ends. Um, So of course there are are enemies of America in the Congress. We have a what I I call the I call them the Hitler Caucus, led by Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. These people identify with our enemies. The Democratic Party. It's not even just that they. I've been allowed to be seated, but Ilan Omar, whose father was a communist, who was a propagandist for Siad Bar, who was the uh, di- the dictator of uh, Somalia, and uh, whose records the UN, which is a, a kind of terrorist support group, called the worst human rights record in all of Africa, which is a mouthful. Um, she was put on the Foreign Affairs Committee when she was a freshman congressman, which means she has access to top-secret intelligence. This country is in terrible trouble, and, and people are afraid to say, say it out loud. Look look what they've done to Rudy Giuliani. I mean, they destroyed the man. Mm. And he isn't the only one. They did, they did that to General Flynn, put him in bankruptcy. You have a new book, uh, gangsters and idiots. uh, This is the book's called The Radical Mind, The Destructive Plans of the Woke Left author David Horowitz. We're up against a break. Thank you so much for coming on to 97.1. If people want to find you online, where can they look? Uh, You can go to frontpagemagazine.com and find out everything about me. And it's a magazine that we run. Got it. David Horowitz, The Radical Mind, new book out. You can check that out for yourself. Thank you so much for coming on to 97.1 FM Talk. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Mark Reardon. We have one more segment coming up next, 97.1 FM Talk. I'm glad that we get to do this right before Christmas. Aw. I'm getting ready to um, start my holiday shopping, as most, most men probably do right around this time. And you may be as well. So if you haven't started yet, at least you got the weekend ahead of you. Just uh, plan for extra time in worse parking conditions than if you would have started earlier. And don't rely on Amazon at this point. Even if they say they can get it to you on time, don't trust it. It's not going to happen because you're going to rely on that driver that's overwhelmed too. All right, let's do the cut of the day. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Now, the audio cut of the day. And this is a cut straight out of New York. When you think of New York City, you think of skyscrapers. You think of the lights. You think about the glamour. You think about the, I don't know. You think about the high rent. You think about the taxes. You think about the crime. You think about everything, right? You think about the Knicks. What do you think about when you think of New York City? Well, Mayor Eric Adams knows what you really think about New York, and this is what it is considering uh, 
a lot of people have different impressions. Some people who have children and families uh, decide they want to go to a place uh, where their children can play outdoors, uh, larger green spaces, want to see animals. You don't, you don't see too many animals, but rats in New York. And so, you know, so they, they're, there's a combination of, of things. And we're getting rid of those rats, by the way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So the state animal of New York should be the rat. <laughs> Eric Adams, uh, one of the big reasons why people are leaving New York City. Well, I can say that during the pandemic, I think most people understood you can't actually have a living when you close everything down and refuse them a ability to provide for them and their family. That's number one. Number two, they don't want to be hassled all the time. They don't want people siding with criminals. They don't want to have to get mugged and cars broken into all the time. They don't want to have to pay $5,000 for a 500 square foot apartment where you don't even get hot water half of the time. They don't want to have to worry about the things you're going to expose your kids to on the subway. They don't want it. They don't want any of this. You know, for a while there in the 90s, you had Seinfeld and there was this beauty about living in New York City and Woody Allen would put a movie out and you're like, wow, that looks really nice. You can walk down the street and you can talk about life and you can go get a cup of coffee and you can hang out with your friends and that's all you really need in life. But, you know, it's so much different now because if you want to raise a family, do you really want to have to live in that hassle of a 500 square apartment, foot, uh, 500 square foot apartment, knowing that you're paying four grand or five grand a month for it? Do you really want to have to deal with the things that your kids are going to see and what's normalized in major cities like New York City. But really, the, she says the reason why people are moving out is because they want space for their family. It's more affordable once you find that space for your family in other places. You want to have the white picket fences and you want to be able to let the dog run the yard. You want to go to a good school and you don't want the state animal to be the rat. Some people who have children and families uh, decide they want to go to a place uh, where their children can play outdoors, uh, larger green spaces, want to see animals. You don't, you don't see too many animals, but rats in New York. Yeah. And so, you know, so they, they, there's a combination of, of things and we're getting rid of those rats, by the way. <laughs> Well, you get fancy dogs getting walked around, but they're mostly in purses. Uh, you see a lot of pigeons, but mostly you see rats. Rats that like to carry large slices of New York pizza <laughs> through the subway. That was your clip of the day. I just think that's hilarious. Uh, there's a couple other clips I wanted to get to before we say goodbye and get ready for Christmas on Monday. I'm really looking forward to spending this weekend with family and friends. I hope you get a chance to do so as well. What a weird full circle the different political parties have been, mostly because someone like John Fetterman, he's a senator from Pennsylvania. He had medical issues. He who knows where he's at cognitively leading into this election, a controversial election to begin with. Some of the things he's known for is wanting to wear sweatpants onto the Senate floor, <laughs> kind of being the slob like but now it's what a strange full circle we've come because you have a John Fetterman going out there and saying, what's wrong with you, Democrats? You've got to secure the southern border. And what's wrong with you trying to go out there and support Hamas? What is wrong with you? We need to support our ally in Israel who had a terrorist attack against them. And the Palestinians that live in this area are supporting Hamas. They elect them to be their representative, a terrorist organization, and they use innocent people as shields. This is who you're supporting, Hamas? And all of a sudden, Republicans are looking at this and saying, how in the world did we come full circle 
to agreeing with John Fetterman. This was from uh, Fox and Friends, maybe this morning or yesterday morning. People have given me hope for the country. Yeah. Bill Moore, yeah. uh, who is a liberal, he's never going to vote for a Republican, I get it, yeah. but he loves the country. Yep. And the way he breaks down the support for Israel and the way he is concerned about the border and the idea of what's happening in our cities and the lack of crime and punishment, there's no punishment with crime, mm-hmm. that bothers him. And yet Democrats seem to be running from that. They never bring it up. And Senator Fetterman is the other one that gives me hope. Yeah, it, it, it's weird to see this transition because I find myself every single week retweeting something that Fetterman has said. <laughs> and there's been, you know, I, I followed his, his race and he was somewhat of a progressive squad member, but just doesn't like what's happening at the border. Uh, he's been very supportive of Israel. So the Fetterman, Fetterman did an interview with the New York Times and he's claiming that both parties are rooting against them. <laughs> How did the world did we get to the point where Fox and friends or Republicans in general are saying, John Fetterman, you're so dreamy. <laughs> when did that love affair happen? I just can't believe it. But does that mean we have to look out for a third party? Does that mean that the next step for us is that, hey, um, you know, the, the Kennedys of the world that are out there making big pushes as a third party are just going to become more and more attractive as you find that the ones that were looked at as maybe the fringe on either side are starting to find themselves more aligned with a third party. And this is something that uh, they brought up. Let me play this for you. Well, look, the Biden campaign is trying to make this race a binary contest. They're, they're assuming Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. They're trying to throw out the, the, the book. They're trying to throw out all the negative oppo against Trump early on and, and hoping that they can win some of these voters back by reminding them that this is a choice between two two candidates. It's it actually they're gonna be a lot of other candidates on, on ballots, third party candidates. Uh, so you have, you know, Jill Stein in the Green Party, you've got Cornell West running for president, you've got Robert yeah. F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, so there's a there's a real likelihood that a lot of disaffected voters, especially those young voters, could end up voting for third party candidates could defect from Biden, even if they don't support Donald Trump. So I think there's a little bit of overconfidence, a little bit of, um, you know, it sounds like the Biden campaign thinks that, that everything is on track. But even if a lot of their, their own voters don't support Donald Trump, they could stay home or they could support some of these more progressive third party candidates. I'll tell you what, anyone that would vote for Cornell West <laughs> should be deported immediately. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that anyone would do that. But either way, this is part of the concern, I think, for the Democrat Party, because when you have someone that was looked at as somewhat progressive, like a John Fetterman, and all of a sudden disagreeing with your base and pointing. And by the way, even the progressives, the ones that are the AOCs of the world and the Omars of the world and the Talibs of the world saying that, hey, Joe Biden, you got blood on your hands for giving money to Israel and helping them defend themselves from terrorist organizations. And they're the ones that are uh, like, for example, it was the different Muslim leadership communities met in Dearborn not that long ago up here in Detroit. And they said, you know, we're going to make sure we're not voting for Joe Biden. We can't support him because he supports Israel. So now you have the Democrat Party losing more and more of its base. Essential parts of the Biden coalition that propelled them to victory in 2020 are now defecting from from the president a lot largely over concerns about the economy. Well, yeah, economy uh, on top of that. Good riddance. Get out of there, Joe Biden, a sinking ship. This is good news for Republicans. 
even when there's bad news for Republicans, too. I'm Ryan Recker, Ryan Recker Radio. If you want to find me on Facebook, thank you for letting me in today on 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.